0: Okay, well, let's go ahead and pray and uh, we'll get started with the study. Father God, I just thank you for your goodness and grace, Lord. And I do just lift up, as we mentioned, the, the needs of the church and got all the things that are there that we're seeking your heart for, Lord. How do you want us to go about this? How do you want us to, to what do you want your church to look like here in at Calvary, Calvary Chapel Truckee, Lord? Give us wisdom in regards to how you want us to utilize the tithes and the offerings, Lord. Give us wisdom of how you just want us to conduct church, Lord. We ask it in your name. And Father God, we just pray for our nation with all the, all the crazy stuff going on, not only the fires. It's been so much more smokier here these last few days, Lord. We pray for the firemen on the front lines. We pray for rain, God, that you would bring rain and put out those fires. Lord, we pray for the, the chaos that's in our country. We pray for a revival, Lord. So thankful to see the return occurring there in um, Washington, D.C. In the, the prayers for revival, Lord. We want to be part of that, lifting up our hearts to you, asking, Lord, would you, would you bring revival to us here at Calvary Chapel Truckee and allow that to spill over into this town, Lord. Let us be a light. Lord, call people to repentance. Lord, call people to yourself. Use us, Lord, to share your love, your grace. Lord, use us, Lord. We thank you for just the opportunities to to be your bride here in Truckee, to be a light, to be a witness here, Lord. Use us, we pray. And Father, as we turn to your word, God, would you bless the teaching of your word, Lord, in spite of me, in spite of my inadequacies, in spite of my, you know, lack of eloquence, Lord, would you just speak powerfully through the simple teaching of your word, Lord. Speak to our hearts. Lord, I ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Oh, my iPad went out. Here we go. Just a second. All right. So... We've come to Genesis chapter 24. Uh, This chapter happens to be the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. It's 67 verses. And you might have thought that Genesis 22 would have been the longest chapter uh, in Genesis. Because you know, in that chapter, we have the picture of the father offering the son as a sacrifice. In Genesis 22, it is a fast-paced chapter, and uh, it's very limited on details, surprisingly, right? And it's kind of like the way we read in the New Testament, then they crucified him. I mean, there's not a whole heck of a lot of detail regarding uh, Jesus's crucifixion in the New Testament. Um, But in this chapter before us, we have this incredible amount of detail. Genesis 24 is where God slows down and gives us every detail. And this chapter, is just a beautiful story of Abraham finding this bride for Isaac, his son. And we see the perspective of a godly father finding a spouse for his son in whom he's invested so much, right? Through whom? Through Isaac, the world is going to be incredibly, wonderfully blessed, And at the same time, it's a beautiful Old Testament picture of our Heavenly Father, Jesus the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. As Abraham sends out this unnamed servant, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit never drawing attention to himself, but always pointing the way to Jesus. Um, Abraham sends out the servant to find a bride for his son. And I find it very interesting in the New Testament where we receive instructions on how to pray. We're instructed to pray to the Father in the name of the Son. In the New Testament, there's at least one, maybe there's two uh, incidences where prayer was offered directly to Jesus, but we never see prayer offered to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Praying to the Holy Spirit... Uh, is not a biblical practice because the role of the Holy Spirit is to bring people to Jesus. He doesn't draw attention to himself. He brings people to Jesus. So in this chapter, what we have here is Abraham, again, a picture of the father, sending this unnamed servant, you know, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit into a foreign country to find a bride for Isaac, which is a type or a picture of Jesus Christ. You know, on the day of Pentecost, what happened? Well, the Holy Spirit was sent into the world to gather a bride together uh, for the Son. And this chapter, in this chapter, we have this picture of Christ in the church. And it's a picture of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit has done in our lives and in our hearts. And You know, I think it's so beautiful how God gives us this chapter and reveals to us a lot of tradition and a lot of culture. While at the same time, he weaves into this uh, chapter this picture of the Holy Spirit of Jesus and the Bride of Christ, which is the church. And what I think is really interesting I find this really interesting. The broadest subject covered in the New Testament is, by far, it's the coming of Christ again for His church, right? Um, you know, if I were to leave Tina, if I were to leave my wife uh, in an environment of war and of disease, of chaos, you know, of difficulty, natural disasters, you know, I would want her to know I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. I love you. I'm coming again for you. Hold on, hold on, because I'm coming for you. I'm coming to get you. And I'm coming to get you to bring you to where I am. So Christ's soon return for his bride is the broadest topic addressed in the New Testament. So it's fitting that in that this topic right? The spirit going into a faraway country to find a bride for the son, that it's the broadest topic covered in the chapters of Genesis. So we start verse one. Now, Abraham was old and well advanced in age and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Abraham's about 140 years here now. So how old is Isaac? Well, again, Abraham had Isaac when he was 100 years old. So Isaac now is about 40 years old. And this chapter, it's a beautiful love story. Uh, it's a romantic story. And isn't it interesting that God's plan for Isaac is to bring a bride into his life at the age of 40, to bring a bride into his life later uh, in his life. For some of us tonight, this may be equal to what uh, your own story looks like, how God brought a um spouse into your life later on in your life. For some people who are waiting for God to bring a husband or a wife uh, to them, well, then this story is incredibly encouraging. And I think it's worth noting also that the, the last statement there in that first verse, right? The Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Our God is a blessing God. And I just, I, I just love remembering this. Our God is a blessing, God. I look at my life and I feel like David, when he sat in the house of the Lord and said, who am I, O Lord, that you would be mindful of me? He said, what more can David say to you for the honor that you've bestowed upon your servant? There just aren't words enough to express the praise uh, for you that I feel, Lord, I'm so blessed. And, you know, I got to tell you, Tina and I, and we've been so blessed by the Lord, all that he's done in his life. of, Of course, first, the blessing, the greatest blessing in my life is he brought Tina into my life. I love her so much. And then he blessed us with our kids and we have such great kids. And then he took us to Europe. You know, it's people's, some people's lifelong dream just to visit Europe. And the Lord took us there and we lived there 15 years And then the Lord brought us back to the States and moved us up here to be part of the church. And my heart just cries out, Lord God, who am I that you would take notice of me? You know, God has blessed so much that he would bless me with such tremendous blessings of life. I mean, I tell you what, it's, it's unbelievable. Now, apart from Tina and my story, the obedience and faith of Abraham resulted in blessing in his life. Obedience in our lives mixed with faith faith brings tremendous blessing into our lives. And we can't miss that as we study through the Bible because it's a repeated theme in the Bible. Verse 2, So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh. Uh, Do you you know the servant's name? You might recall when we were back in Genesis 15, I said, remember his name because it's going to be important later. Do you remember his name? If you were to say Eliezer, well, you would be correct. We know his name from Genesis 15 uh, verse 2. He's not named here because, again, he's a picture of the Holy Spirit who does not speak of himself but only speaks of the Son, Abraham continues and says to Eliezer, he says, Hey, place your hand under my thigh. And you know it sounds kind of strange to what to us. He said, What? Place his hand under her thigh. Hey, why don't we do this right now? Why don't we all take a minute and just reach over, place your hand under the thigh of that person sitting next to you? Dennis, come here. No. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Don't do it, especially if you don't know the person sitting next to you. Abraham uh, asked Eliezer to put his hand underneath his thigh. You know, it sounds weird to us, but in these days, this was a way of making an oath or or making a vow. And it shows the seriousness of the matter when this was done. Verse 3, And I will make you swear by the Lord the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Well, why was this such a concern for Abraham? Why not take a daughter of the Canaanites to be a wife for Isaac? Well, because they were pagan, because they were immoral. And Abraham knew that a Canaanite wife would certainly lead Isaac astray. Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 through 4, the Lord says, Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. And by the time we get to 1 Kings 11, that's exactly what happened to Solomon. Solomon was the greatest king in the nation of Israel. But because he married a pagan woman... He was led astray. And then when we come to the New Testament, it says the same thing. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 says, do not be unequally yoked together with believers. Paul gives us this illustration of two oxen that are yoked together. And what's gonna happen when you try to plow a field? You got this dead ox on the left that's yoked together with a live ox on the right. Both are under the yoke. One is dead and the other's alive. So, what's going to happen? Well, you know, what's going to happen is, is every time you try to plow a straight furrow, you're going to veer off to the left, right? It doesn't matter how strong that other ox is, he's always going to veer off to the left. That dead weight dragging, you know, that plow to the left. And that's a picture that Paul gives us here in the New Testament. He says, don't be unequally yoked. As believers, we're not to be yoked together with unbelievers in any way. Uh, Not in marriage, not in business, not in anything, lest it causes us to veer off course. That's what's going to happen. And it's a very important teaching we see illustrated in the Old Testament and taught in the New Testament. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 7, 39 If a wife is bound by law, no, not if, a wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is at liberty to marry, to be married to whom she wishes. And and that makes sense. But, Paul says, she's to marry only in the Lord. You know, it's so tragic when you talk to people and and they say, you know, it's different in my case, you know. I mean, we're in love. It's going to be totally different in my case. But the sad thing is when you see um, a a believer married to an unbeliever, their spouse has absolutely no interest at all to share in the things that are most important in the believer's life. They want nothing to do, the unbeliever wants to have nothing to do with the love of, of the believer's heart. You know, the love of their life. The two of them, they're just heading in different directions. And it's terribly painful to have a spouse who wants nothing to do with the Lord when you're just excited to grow in the Lord. And you see people make that mistake all the time. And Abraham doesn't want that for his son. He doesn't want that for Isaac. And God doesn't love us any less than Abraham Loves his son Isaac. So he instructs us. He instructs us from the love that he has for us not to get involved with unbelievers. He wants to spare us that heartache. He wants to spare us, you know, the the pain that comes along in that that, uh, marriage. And he wants to spare us from getting off track. So, verse four. But you shall go to my country. This is what Abraham tells his servant. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land uh, from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, who spoke to me, swore to me, saying to your descendants, I give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. Abraham repeats this warning. Beware that you do not take my son back there. Do not take my son back there. And again, you just ask yourself, why not take Isaac back there? Why is this so important to Abraham? Because Abraham knows. Because of family pressure, Abraham was delayed there. When God was calling Abraham, because of family pressure, he delayed there when God was calling him to go into the land, to go into the promised land. The blessings of God and the promises of God were delayed while Abraham was there in Mesopotamia. And while he was there, it was a time of barrenness in Abraham's life, spiritually speaking. Yeah, sure, financially, Abraham was prospering, but the blessings of God were being delayed. And Abraham doesn't want that to happen to his son, to Isaac. So he tells his servant, do not take him back there. I want him enjoying the blessings of God. I want him walking in the promises of God. I don't want him to get off track So Eliezer makes sure that he understands exactly what's being asked of him. He says, well, what's going to happen if the girl doesn't want to come back with me? You know, he's making sure he clearly understands the promises um, that he's making to Abraham. He wants to understand clearly the agreement that he's, uh, you know, um, getting into with Abraham, the covenant that he's making to Abraham. And you know, that's real wisdom, isn't it? Just knowing what's, what's in, you know, involved before you commit to a, a promise. Verse 9, So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for uh, all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. So that's about 500 miles uh, from where Abraham is uh, dwelling there in Beersheba. And listen, 10 camels, it speaks of you know, quite a bit of wealth, really does. You know, camels weren't as common as you might think they were back then. But to have enough camels that you could spare 10 to go on this trip, Abraham he he had like Bill Gates kind of wealth, it seems. Verse 11, and he made his camel kneel down outside the city by a wall of water at evening time, uh, the time when women go out to draw water. Now, isn't that interesting? When do women go out to draw water? Well, in the evening time, we just read it. Uh, why in the evening time? Well, because it's cooler during that time of the day, carrying water's a lot of work. um, and this gives us an insight into the New Testament teaching. When did the woman at the well, John 4, go out and draw water at the well? Well, it was the sixth hour. It was at noontime. Well, why would she go out in the sixth hour in the heat of the day? It's because she was an outcast. She didn't want to be with the other woman. We learned in John 4 that she had five husbands. And now the one that she's living with, it's not even her husband. She's living in, in fornication. And... Um, The great, you know, what's great about the story is she goes out to to get some water and she comes in contact with Jesus. And he explains to her that if she drinks this water, then she's gonna thirst again. But if she would drink of the water that he has to give, she would have fountains of living water springing up in her to everlasting life. And she said, you know, it's kind of great when you see it. She says, I know the Messiah is coming who is the Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And then Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Some people, they say, you know, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. But right here in John chapter four, you know, he says, I am he. Uh, Then she left her water pots. Remember the story? She left her water pots and she ran back into the city of Samaria and she went and told uh, all the men in the city, uh, she, she said, you know, come and meet this man that I met at the well. He told me everything I ever did. And you just kind of makes you wonder, did the men that she tell say, oh, great, he meant another man. Huh? What a surprise that is. Uh, yeah, they, they didn't do that. We're told that many believed in him because of her testimony, the things that she testified when she said, he told me all that. I ever did. She was transformed by Jesus. I mean, this is the beauty of this story. Her life is radically changed in such a way that the men of the city were listening to her because they saw this difference that was in her life now. And God used her. And the good news. Of this story is that God wants to use you too. doesn't matter what relationship you've come out of, doesn't matter where you've been in in life. doesn't matter if you've been an outcast. God can use you. Christ can change your life and use you in ways that you never thought were possible. Verse 12. Then he said, Oh Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Eliezer, he doesn't know what, you know, he doesn't know uh, who was in Abraham's family. He doesn't have a picture to refer to. He gets to the land and he pulls up, you know, a Facebook post to see what they look like. He doesn't know where to look. So what does he do? You know what? He looks up. And that's exactly what we need to do, especially when we don't know what to do. Verse 12, then he said, "O Lord God of my master, Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master, Abraham. Behold, here I am by the well of water, or here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be. That the young woman to whom I say, please uh, let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your uh, servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. You know, where do you think Eliezer learned to pray like this? Remember, Abraham didn't have any sons. Back in Genesis 15, we read that Eliezer was the oldest servant that grew up in his house. You know what? He probably learned to pray like this from Abraham, just as we saw Ishmael uh, learn to pray by watching his father. And we talked about this uh, back in Genesis 21. If you're a man that makes prayer a priority in your life, then you know your wife is going to be Somebody that prays. Your kids, your children, are going to be people that pray. Um, but if you're not a man who prays, well, then your wife is less likely to uh, pray, and your kids are, you know, more likely not to learn the discipline of prayer. You see here that Eliezer is a man of prayer, and no doubt he learned this. Uh, from Abraham. And And look at how he prays verse 12. He says, please give me success this day. You know, what a great prayer that is for all of us to pray. I mean, you can pray this way. Lord, I have this task to do. I have this errand to run. Lord, please give me success this day. Go with me today and help me. You can pray like that no matter what it is that you're doing. I mean, you could be an electrician. You could be a doctor. You could be somebody who's just retired and working around the house. It doesn't matter what you need to do or what you are doing. Just, Lord, please give me success this day. You know, there's no doubt that Eliezer learned this from watching Abraham observing his devotional life and the things that went on in his home. And I tell you, boy, how I desire to be a godly dad, how I want my kids to pray, how I desire to see my kids raise their hands and worship. I want my kids to serve the Lord with their whole heart. And you know what? They're going to, they're going to, be more likely to engage in that kind of life if I model it. You know, the prayer that Eliezer offers is kind of comical too. Now, in these days, you know, laying out a fleece like this is, is uh, you know, it was a common way to discern God's direction in a situation. It's not the way that we're to do things today. Fleeces, they're not a New Testament teaching. But, you know, but in this day, you know, God honored it. Usually people today, uh, you know, when they use this fleece, they say, you know, something, God, would you do this? And if you do that, then I'll know that you're in it. I know uh, that you, you're going to bless it. Or if you don't do this, then I, I, do, I know you're not going to bless it. And just like Gideon, when God does what we lay out for him, you know what happens? Uh, we, we begin... Well, maybe that just happened. We doubt it. You know, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, do this. And he does it. And you're just like, well, maybe that just happens. And then what happens then is you try to get God to jump through all these different hoops until you're satisfied. Remember, that's what Gideon did. Hey, make this fleece wet and all the ground dry. Oh, you know, maybe that just happens naturally. So make this fleece dry and all the ground wet, you know? That's not the way we're to test the Lord. That's not the way we're to tempt the Lord. When, when He does the things we ask Him to do, we're still not satisfied and we doubt. Well, how are we to go about it today? We're to pray. We're to seek the Lord. We're to wait on Him. And then when He confirms the issue in our hearts through you know, various different ways, through friends, through a Bible verse, through a Bible teaching, whatever, you know, He confirms that direction in our heart. Then we take the step of faith. We're called as Christians to walk by faith, not by sight. But again, in this time, God honored the fleece. But if you look at Eliezer's prayer, you know, he, he prays, Lord, let me know the woman that, uh, by me asking her for a drink. Then she should say to me, Sure, you know what? No problem. I'll give you a drink and then I'll do an extra day's worth of work to feed your, water your camels. I mean, it's kind of funny, but here we see in verse 15 that God answers the prayer before he even finishes speaking. Verse 15, and it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah who was born of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. So Rebekah goes down to the well. We're told that she's very beautiful, She's just a beautiful girl, and she's a virgin, we're told. And we see this is, this is God's word. This, this is God's plan for relationships. His desire, His design is that a sexual relation would be reserved for um, marriage. The Bible teaches that sexual activity before marriage is wrong. You know, it's dirty, it's cheap. It's selfish. God's plan is that a sexual relationship would be reserved for marriage. And when it is, that's when it's beautiful. That's when it's edifying, healthy, exciting, and fruitful. That's God's plan. And he makes it clear in his word. He tells us this over and over again in the word. God never intended any of us to to compare our spouse with somebody else. God intended that we would go into marriage as virgins. And the only lover we would ever know would be our spouse. And I tell you what, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. There's forgiveness if that's not your story. You know, praise the Lord for forgiveness. Verse 17, and the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. And she said, "Drink, my lord." Then she quickly let down her pitcher, uh, let di- uh, then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And we're introduced to Rebecca here. And what we see in Rebecca is this politeness. I mean, she we see in her a kindness. She's kind to strangers. She's not bothered that this stranger asked her for a drink. We see in her this selflessness. Verse nineteen. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. You know, this is just who Rebecca is. You know, here, let me give you a drink and let me water your camels till they finish drinking, too. Um, so she has this water pot on her shoulder. She's drawing water with it. I mean, how big do you think that water pot is? I mean, it's probably not more than five gallons, and it's also made of stone. So when it's filled with water, how heavy do you think that is? Each camel can drink up to 50 gallons of water um, at one time. In Eliezer, he has 10 camels. That's a hundred trips down to the well and back. I mean, what do we see in Rebecca? She's a hard worker. Verse 20. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. I mean, can you believe it? She's running back to the well. I mean, she's, she's not walking. She's running. It's amazing. She, it doesn't appear that there's a lazy bone in Rebecca's body. She's a servant. Verse 21, And the man, wandering at her, uh, wondering about her, at her. Remain silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. See, this is the problem with fleeces. We see it right here. Eliezer is wondering. He's not sure. Lord, is it you? She's doing exactly what he said, and he's still not sure. Lord, is that you? It's it's what I prayed. But that's what's what what happens. And And you know, isn't it funny that we do that Eliezer lays out the conditions. God answers the conditions. And when God does it for him, he's not sure. But what does he do here in his doubt? He waits. And that's what—that's the way to do it, just to wait on the Lord. I've never regretted waiting on the Lord. I've always regretted getting out in front of him. So verse 22 so it was when the camel had finished, the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing 10 shekels of gold and said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please. Is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, Milka's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feet enough. And a room to lodge. Rebecca tells Eliezer that, that she is Abraham's brother's granddaughter. And she says, You're welcome to stay at our house. And again, we see here in Rebecca another beautiful characteristic, and that's that she's hospitable. Boy, what a beautiful woman this is. Verse 26, then the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth uh, towards my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. And again, we have to ask ourselves, where did Eliezer learn to worship like this? Where did he learn to just break into spontaneous worship because of answered prayers. Well, if you've been studying with us, you know that Abraham is a worshiper. Abraham is an altar builder. We just saw Abraham in the last chapter. Was it last chapter? 22, chapter 22. Uh, We saw Abraham uh, dealing with one of the greatest trials in his life. Well, last chapter 23, the death of his wife. And he's worshiping. Uh, Chapter 22, you know, he's worshiping. God said, take your son and offer him. And Abraham said, I'm going to worship God. Right? There's no doubt in my mind that Eliezer learned about worship from Abraham. And what a powerful, beautiful example of Abraham as the leader of his home. He's the leader in his house. Notice this also, Eliezer says, being on the way, the Lord led me. The Lord led him when he was about the father's business. Uh, Do you wonder what the Lord wants you to do? Do you wonder what the Lord has for you? Do you have questions regarding which way the Lord would have you go? Well, here's the answer. Get involved in the father's business. Get involved in service to him get involved. Serve in the church. You know, there are plenty of opportunities we have right here in the church for you to serve. There are plenty of needs right here in the church that you could meet. You know, step out, be a volunteer to help help out in the church. Get involved in the prayer meeting. As you do, you'll see God lead you into what He has for you. I've seen this time and time again with other people. When we were in Europe, people would say, you know, I, I would ask him, hey, you know, what God's called you to do? I'm talking to a young person, has a heart for ministry. What God has called you to do? Well, I'm not really sure I'm waiting. Well, while you're waiting, come to Germany and serve in the church and be part of it. And God can speak to you while you're there. The same is true. Man, get involved here in the church and God will speak to you. Verse 28, so the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. I mean, Rebecca, she's so excited. And we're going to read a little bit later that Eliezer put this nose ring and these bracelets on her. And she's just so excited. She runs home to tell her family, uh, you know, uh, when you read this, you have to be reminded, man, it is just so exciting to be part of what God is doing. It's so exciting to discover God's plans and then to take part in um, what He wants to do. You know, we moved from from Europe to the high desert in Southern California. We went from Bavaria to Victorville. Uh, You know, it was a little bit step, uh, step down, it seemed, right? But then God opened the door for us to be part of this amazing work in South Asia. And what a blessing that is to be part of that. Then the Lord moves us up here to be part of this church here in Cherokee. And I tell you the prophecies that we received before we came, the promises that God had given us about the things He wants to do in the church up here, the miracles that occurred, and I mean miracles that occurred to get us up here. It's just so exciting to see God's, you know, hand at work and to be part of what God is doing. To discover His plans and to be led by the Holy Spirit, it's actually probably the most exciting thing we can do as Christians. There is nothing else that even comes close. Uh, It's far and away the best thing, the most exciting thing, to just be led by the Holy Spirit, to walk in the things that God has for each one of us individually is so exciting. Verse twenty-nine. Now Rebecca had a brother's a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out to meet the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, and when he heard the words of his sister Rebecca saying, "Thus the man spoke to me," then he went to the man, and there he stood by the camels at the well, and he said. Come in, O bless the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I've prepared the house and a place for the camels. You know, we're going to get to know this, this brother of Rebekah. His name is Laban. And if you know anything about Laban, you know that he has his eyes on something other than the Lord. I mean, he's looking at the nose ring. He's looking at the the bracelets. And then he sees 10 camels back there over, over there. Man, what's on those guys? You know, that's, Probably what motivated Laban to be, you know, hospitable to the stranger is what he could get out of it. Verse 32, then the man came to the house and he unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. So it's a number of guys with uh, Eliezer, it's just not himself. Uh, You know, he's carrying riches, so he's bringing, you know, a group of guys to protect uh, him on the way. Food was set before him to eat. And he said, I will not eat until I've told about my errand. And he said, this is Laban, speak on. And he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly and he's become great. And he's given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And, you know, it's just so beautiful to see people who understand that all they have is from the Lord. You know, and they glorify him and they give thanks to him. I mean, that's just such a refreshing to thing to see people thanking God for his many blessings. Verse 36, he continues, And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he was given all that he has. Now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, perhaps a woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son, from my family and from my father's house. I mean, how beautiful is that? It says, Abraham walked before the Lord. Man, is that, is that wonderful or what? We also see the faith of Abraham here as he makes this confession of God's provision for his son. Verse 41, you will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family, for if they will not let her go or will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And this day I came to the well and said, oh, the Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw the water and I say to her, please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, drink and I will draw water for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca, coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder. And she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. You know, we see here that that this prayer that Eliezer is praying, it wasn't even verbalized. He didn't even say it outside. He says it in his heart. He's praying in his heart. And what does that tell us? It tell us, tells us that the Lord sees our heart. The Lord knows what's going on in our heart. Boy, that's just so comforting to me. And it shows us the type of man Eliezer uh, was, right? He was a man that communed and he prayed with God under his breath as he went about his business. He was on an errand. He had a job to do. He was the type of man who did it while he was praying and communing and fellowshipping with the Lord. And we can get caught up in our devotions in the morning. You know, I got to get my devotions done in the morning. I got to get my devotions done in the evening. But the Lord wants our devotion throughout the day. You know what? We think of devotions. He just wants our devotion throughout the day. And it's valuable to get alone with the Lord. But you don't want to, you know, close your eyes while you're driving down the freeway. But while I'm driving down the freeway, I can be praying, just asking the Lord to bless that that, um, business that I'm about right now, the tasks that I need to complete. You know, whether you're heading off for work, whether you're doing things around the house, you can be praying and communing with the Lord, asking the Lord again to give you success in what you're doing. Verse 46, and she made haste and let down her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, drink and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrist. And I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham who led me in the way of truth to take the daughter to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Boy we see Eliezer's worship here uh, again, it's just emphasized, right? And I confess to you, you know, I don't respond this way when I see answered prayer. I mean don't get me wrong, when I see answered prayer, I'm thankful and I just I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for answering you the, pr- the prayer. But I don't always stop on the spot and worship him enough. God is all powerful. And when he intervenes in our lives, you know, he's deserving of our praise. You know, God, help me to respond the way I should when he moves on my behalf. That's my heart. Lord, help me in this area. With all the great things that God is doing, I don't want to I don't want, I want, I don't stop and just worship him enough. With all the great things he's doing, I don't just stop and bow my heart before him and just worship him. You know, I desire to learn from this. I want to be the type of man that more frequently as God moves, that I stop right there and worship him, worship the Lord. Verse 49. Now, if you'll deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you, either bad or good. Here's Rebekah before you. Take her and go and let her be your master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Again, Eliezer's example of worship He just bows himself to the ground. He gets on his face before the Lord there on the ground. What an example that is. What an example. Verse 53, Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning And he said, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least 10. After that, she may go. You know, let's not be in a hurry, Laban says. Hang out here for just a few days, at least 10. You know, just just stay here a week and a half. And, you know, we see something else here too. You know, If the world is not successful in persuading you as a believer to abide in the world, it will seek to delay your exit. When you decide to follow the Lord, the world will applaud your devotion. Hey, way to go. Good for you. But then it'll say, hey, don't be a rush. Stay, Stay with us a few days, at least 10, then go. You know, it's a trap. Verse 56, and he said to them, do not hinder me since the Lord has pr- uh, prospered my way. Send me away that I might go to my master. And they said, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. And we see here Rebecca's faith. You just see her faith as she says, I will go. And as you look over You know, back over this chapter, you see, Rebecca is just this really neat woman. She's such a beautiful woman physically, but more importantly, she's beautiful spiritually. And, you know, she's just a beautiful woman. She's pure. She's kind. She's a selfless servant. She's a hard worker. She's hospitable. And here we see that she has faith. And she says, I will go. She saw God was in this, and she surrenders to him. It's it's like she says, you know, it's scary for me as a woman to go to entrust myself to a man I've never met, but I'm going to step out in faith and be obedient to what God is doing. I don't know what's coming ahead of me, but I'm going to go. I'll trust my life in the Lord's hands. And the same thing occurs with us. God the Father sent His Son to be a sacrifice there in Mount Moriah. And we learned that Mount Moriah is the very same place where Jesus Christ is sacrificed, right? Uh, The Mount Calvary. And the Holy Spirit has given us tokens of the Father's wealth. Are you willing to go? You know, no one is going to force you. It has to be your choice. You know, uh, You know, Rebecca, she has all these questions. She's asking Eliezer all these questions about Isaac on this journey returning back to Beersheba. You know, what's what's he like? Is he handsome? You know, uh, what if he doesn't find me attractive? What if I'm rejected in the father's house? She probably has a thousand questions during this 500-mile camel ride back to Beersheba. And just like Rebecca, when we come to our bridegroom, When we come to Jesus Christ, you know, we know so little about Him, but we say, I'll go. And then on the journey, we learn all about Him. It's during the journey that the Holy Spirit bears witness in our hearts all about the Son of God. Verse 59. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Oh, sister, may you become the mother of thousands and ten thousands and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them now these prophecies regarding Rebecca is actually what happened in her life now that she enters into the lineage of Jesus Christ and the reference to possessing the gates of uh, your enemies it's speaking of uh, of being victorious and certainly her descendants were victorious but the ultimate this ultimate uh, fulfillment of this prophecy is pointing to Jesus Christ and the victory that He uh, won for us there on the cross. Verse 61, Then Rebekah and her maids rose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. Uh, so the servant took Rebekah and departed. Rebekah is guided on her journey by Eliezer. He's a helper, Right. And it's also very interesting that the details of the journey, they're not mentioned here. You know, it's just not mentioned at all. We don't know what went on in that, that journey. And I think it's because Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 52, that in a moment, in a twinkling in a, a, an eye, that's how fast we're going to be, um, how fast it will be when, you know, when we uh, go and stand before the sun. Verse 62. Now Isaac came from the way of Lahai Roy, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted his eyes and looked. And there the camels were coming. You know, it could be translated that Isaac went out to pray. It could be translated that he went out to commune with God. And what we see here is Isaac is also a man of prayer and communion with the Lord, just like his father Abraham. Verse 64 then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. For she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. So she took a veil and she covered her face. You know, again, Rebekah, what a beautiful woman she is. Uh, covering her face in the, uh, with a veil in this culture signified that she was a chaste, modest, and submissive woman. And that's the way she wants to be seen by her husband. Boy, that's the way we want to be seen by our, our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Verse 66, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into her mother Sarah's tent, and he took her back, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Isn't it interesting as Isaac is praying, as Isaac is out in the field communing with God, that's when God brought uh, such blessing into his life. What a truth that is. And that's just exactly what the Psalms say. Uh, Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. This is exactly what we see Isaac doing here. So what about you? That's the question we always have to ask. What about you? When was the last time you spent time delighting in the Lord, meditating on Him and His goodness? When was the last time you were on your face before the Lord, praying and communing with Him? We need to take, or we need to make time in our day to do just that, to just be with the Lord and just to delight ourselves in Him. And the promise to us, is if we will do that, if we'll take time, if we'll make time in our day to just delight ourselves in the Lord, He's going to pour out just such great blessing upon us. Blessings that are exceedingly, abundantly above anything that we could ask or even imagine, the Scripture says. That's what God wants us as individuals. That's what He wants for us as a church. He wants us to pray. He wants us to commune with him. He wants us to seek him. He wants us to fall deeper in love with him every day. And the picture here is how the Lord just blesses Isaac unbelievable blessings while engaging in just that activity of praying and communing with the Lord. One last thing we need to look at before we close this chapter out. And as I said a few weeks ago, right? The, the first time we see Isaac since he was left on Mount Moriah is here in this chapter. He was left. Genesis 22:19 19 says that Abraham came down. No mention of, of Isaac. If you read it literally, he's still on the uh, mountain. But we don't read of Isaac again in the narrative until this chapter. We haven't seen Isaac since he was offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And the next time we see him in the narrative is in this chapter when he receives a Gentile bride to himself. We see Isaac receiving Rebekah as his wife. You know, it's a remarkable picture of coming together um, with Jesus Christ as his bride. You know, the church, you and me, we're the bride of Christ. And you just look at it, and what do you see? The father desired a bride for his son. A son, the son was uh, counted as dead, and then he was raised from the dead. This is both Jesus and and, uh, Isaac. A nameless servant was sent out to a faraway country to get a bride for the son. And the servant's name was Eliezer, which, by the way, means God of help. You could also translate it helper. Isn't that interesting? The lovely bride was divinely met, was chosen and called, and gifts were lavished upon her. She was entrusted to care. Uh, She was entrusted to the care of this servant until she met her bridegroom. Boy, just what a beautiful picture. Isaac loved his bride just as Jesus loves his church. And summarizing the pictures of Isaac, Rebecca, Jesus, and the church... Both Rebecca and the church were chosen for marriage before they knew it. You see that Ephesians 1, 3 through 4. They were both destined to share in the glory of the son. John 17, 22 through 23. Both learned of the son through the servant representative. Both were called to leave everything with joy to be with the Son. Both were loved and cared for by the Son. And looking at at Isaac and Jesus, both were promised before their coming. Both appeared at the appointed time. Both were conceived and born miraculously. Both were named before their birth. Both were offered as a sacrifice by the Father. Both were brought back from the dead. Both possessed all that their father had. Everything that the father had has been given to the son. Both prepared a place for their bride. Both go out to meet their bride. You know what? When the rapture, that last trump, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive will go and meet him in the air. He doesn't come to the earth. We don't go to heaven. He meets us there in the air. Such a beautiful picture. Both Isaac and Jesus have a ministry of prayer until they're united with their bride. For me, these pictures of Christ and the church in the Old Testament, I mean, they're just so exciting. Well, what do you think? They were just placed there randomly by some Jewish scholar? I mean, do you think that it just happens to be a coincidence? We're making more of it than what's really there? Or is it the Holy Spirit trying to get our attention and show us the blessings we have in Christ are outside of our imagination. You know, that's what I think it is. Boy, just outside of our imagination. God has so much more for us than any one of us have ever experienced. My encouragement to you, my encouragement to the church, Calvary Chapel, Truckee, you know, what I encourage myself with is this, like, let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. Let's not be satisfied with yesterday's manna. Let's go deeper today. Let's pray. Father God, that's that's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for my wife. That's my prayer for my family. That's my prayer for the church, Lord. Let us go deeper with you. Draw us to yourself. Speak to our heart, Lord. Reveal yourself to us in ways we've never imagined. Lord, make us men and women of prayer. Make us men and women of communion, Lord where we just seek Your face, where we just wait on You, where, Lord, we just look to You for guidance, look to You for direction. Lord, as we go throughout our daily tasks, Lord, may we be just focused on You in every detail of our life, Lord. I pray You use this chapter to just wash over us, to draw us to Yourself, to create in us the men and women You want us to be, Lord. Make this chapter a best friend to us, I pray. And Lord, for anybody that may be listening that doesn't know you, I just pray your Holy Spirit, whom you've sent into the world to bring conviction in the heart of those that don't know you. I pray that you would convict them. You would convict them of wrongdoing, but also that the Spirit would communicate to them that there's salvation, that there's forgiveness in the name of Jesus that they will just turn to Him, confess their sinners and and pray and and ask for help, you know, pray and, and just tell you how bad they feel about the wrong that they've done and and just confess they believe Christ died on the cross for their sins, that He died and was buried and three days rose again. And I just pray you'd encourage and you to pray and ask that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit, to give them the power to live for you, to give their life over to you, to just enjoy the greatest life, the most exciting life possible, and that's a life surrendered to you, to be directed by the Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask these things in your name, Jesus. Bless Calvary Chapel Truckee, Lord. Bless and establish this church in just a new, fresh way that it's never experienced, Use us to reach this town and the world for your glory, Lord. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, if you ask Christ into your heart just now, I encourage you, call us at the office. Boy, we're here to help you in in your walk, to help you uh, just get to know the Lord. Uh, We want to get a Bible in your hand. We want to answer any questions you may have. We don't want anything from you. We just want to encourage you to run after Jesus Christ.